Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. In this episode, we're giving you what matters most from every game in the Sunday slate from week six in the NFL. You know the drill. Could be anything. Could be a rookie standout performance, how we think these teams are going to be long-term, short-term, whether the win or the loss mattered more, something about a coach, a player, anything. We're telling you what mattered most. I'm Trevor Sycamore. With me, as always, is Connor Rogers. Let's ring the bell. Welcome to the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. I'm Trevor Sycamore. That is Connor Rogers joining you guys on a What Matters Most Monday edition of the show. If you're new here, what we basically do is we go down all of the Sunday games, sorry, Thursday Night Football, and we tell you what matters most. So that could be anything from a draft angle. It could be, you know, from a 2023 standing angle, like what we think of the team short term, long term. It could be individual performances, coaching performances everything we open it up to let us talk about what we think matters most connor thrilling victory my friend i i did not get to see any of the uh the sny segments yesterday but i have to imagine you and the fellas were having a ball as the new york jets defeated the philadelphia eagles were you not we had a good time we always have this running joke that the jets don't play normal games in a sense of when you cover the team because I mean, to put it in perspective, we watched the game in a giant conference room um, and to kind of put it in people's mind for people that have watched the show Succession. Some of Succession was shot at the SMY studio. Yeah, I didn't know that. So those kinds of rooms. So when you look at it like that, we're in that conference room. The studio is on the other side of the building and we're on as soon as the clock hits zero. So as soon as the game runs out, we're on. Now, the thing is, the Jets always play games down to the final second. So you have to figure out usually the two minute warning. Like, when am I going to run across, get mic'd up, sit in the chair, hopefully catch the end of the game on all the monitors in the studio. And then we're on. And yeah, what am I going to be talking about? A crushing Jets loss an incredible (laughs) season altering win. That's what it's like covering a team that is a giant roller coaster every single week. So it was, Thrilling is absolutely the way to put it. It was a lot of fun. I was gonna say it was the it was the peak part of the roller coaster yeah. this weekend, getting to defeat uh one of the well, yeah, last undefeated, uh, well, right? The last undefeated team that's no longer undefeated because we don't have any more undefeateds here in the NFL season. But uh buddy, I'll let you choose. I mean, we can start with that game if you want, or we can go a totally different direction. We can start in chronological order, we can start with the London game. Where do you want to begin this conversation of what matters most from week six? 
I guess we can go in order because we'll we'll spend plenty of time because of how relevant the Eagles are to the league and, mm-hmm. and now where the Jets stand. And that was, you know, along with 49ers Browns, one of the biggest ones of the whole week. So we'll work our way down and keep everybody on their toes. So Titans Ravens was in London. I don't know about you, but I woke up Sunday. 20, feeling 22. And, and feeling no, I just I wish. I did not wake <laughs> up on Sunday feeling 22 at all. <laughs> Fell 42. Uh <laughs> when I'm sitting there and I'm on my computer and I was watching some of the tape from Morgan Washington and I'm, I'm just like really bullshitting around, drinking coffee, getting ready to, uh, you know, pack up my suit and get down to the city. And I'm like, there's another London game on every <laughs> like it was it was like 955. And I was like, it, it's it's almost like regularly scheduled programming. Great for the European fans that love American football. I think that is absolutely an awesome fact of it. But it is at the point where the luster over here has, or not even maybe the luster, but it's almost routine where I'm like another London game. And this was a peak London game. A lot of field goals. It's true. It's true. You know, a lot of nonsense. I really came out of this game, Trevor, with a question, which I usually do for at least one of the what matters most. And Mm -hmm. why do the Ravens let inferior teams hang around? Like, I don't have an answer because they're so much better. And to be fair to the Titans, everything that could go wrong for the Titans in this game went wrong. Like, your best player in Jeffrey Simmons has a penalty that you probably should have just let him and Odell go. But, you know, when you get caught, you get caught. Yeah. Um, Their quarterback gets hurt. Malik Willis, you know, they couldn't get anything going. There's all kinds of questions there. But that doesn't take away that the Ravens, are playing down to teams much worse than them. And and mm. that's a red flag to me right now. Yeah. So, I mean, for, well, first of all, before, before I get into my Ravens talk here, I actually kind of like the London games because for me and you, 1 p.m. to whatever it is, 7, is it's right. hectic. Like, it, is a, it is a hectic six hours. And... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The London game is almost like, oh, only one game? I get to well, see all of it. Right. right. I get to it's, see all of the nice. London <laughs> game. I get to see more of the London game than the Jets because I have to run across from the conference room to the studio and I miss something of that game. It's a little bit of a warm up before we have uh, self-induced ADD for the next seven yeah. hours with Scott Hansen and the rest of, uh, yes. of the country. But, um, the you know, I, I think, my, well, my what matters most here for the for this game and I do want to talk a little bit about the Titans because I think their quarterback situation now is a little bit more interesting, especially for guys who do draft evaluation and yeah. players in Malik Willis and, and Will Levis, who are, are we think going to have a hand in what the Titans are going to do a quarterback moving forward. I think the Ravens are a top five team in the NFL. I really do. Their grades across the board on the defensive side of the ball are top three. You know, it's right up there with the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys. And we know that the Cowboys kind of, well, you know, we're recording this before Monday Night Football, so we'll see how they play. Yeah, watch what you say. Yeah, but as of of right now, as we are recording this, their numbers look overinflated against some bad football teams on the defensive side of the ball. So 
yeah, I mean, you can make a case maybe the Ravens are better than the the Cowboys and maybe they're the second best defense in the NFL behind the Niners. But this defense is going to have them in games. I I think this is a really, really good unit, much better than they were last year. Um, I think Lamar is... I'm going to say it playing the best football that he's ever played in his NFL career. Yeah. His stats lie Lamar. I know he had the MVP season and there was a lot of shock factor with Lamar's MVP season. And I think he himself was more of a runner than he was a passer, certainly at this point in his career. So like what Lamar was doing as a true dual threat quarterback was so shocking to the league that we couldn't help but talk about it every single week. Lamar is still that in elite rushing threat right now, but he's also so much more mature as a passer. Like the dude's always had yeah. the arm to be able to complete every single throw, but now you can watch him stay calm, go through progressions, navigate pressure and, and, and keep his eyes down the field. And he's delivering some absolute dimes. Obviously the week before we talked about how the drops let him down and everything. I'm not going to lie, man. It, it sounds weird saying this because it is the NFL, but I feel like the Ravens should be undefeated right now. To me, this team's in the conversation with the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Niners, and the Dolphins as the top five teams in the NFL. I really do believe that. And I'm sorry I'm sliding Buffalo here, but the injuries have just really sucked for that team. And so going back to your point on the Ravens, they have let these teams hang around. Because I, I genuinely yeah. think the Ravens have been better than all five of the teams that they have played against. Six? Did they have their bye week? Five? Six? Whatever it was. I think the Ravens could have legit be undefeated right now. So what the Ravens' record is, I think it could be even better. I think that they have a winning record right now, but I even think that that doesn't do them justice. This is one of the best teams in the NFL, in my opinion. Lamar Jackson's playing as good as he has ever played, which is incredible to say with him coming, having an MVP trophy already. And I really do. I I think that Baltimore is going to be an absolute force throughout the rest of the year. And they're going to be one of the toughest teams every single week. They have the roster to do it and they have a superstar quarterback to do it. It's just a matter of, will they, will they play down to teams? And they have a huge test against the lions next week and the good thing is for the ravens they're three and one on the road so now they get a nice big home game against a tough team in the lions then they got arizona seattle and before they get to some division games so i think the the toughest, dri- i think the yeah. toughest part for baltimore is they still really want to run the ball like without lamar and dobbins getting hurt just it throws a massive wrench into that man yeah it sucks because I, I felt it like Dobbins could have been that bell cow player to, all right, maybe he's not breaking the rushing record or anything, but have a healthier yards per carry average from somebody that wasn't Lamar Jackson. And this team is so multiple on offense. They've got a, a, an excellent dual threat at quarterback. It, with, with Dobbins in the background, that, or sorry, backfield, they would have had a really healthy rushing average, I believe. They've got really great playmakers who, okay, they let them down big time last week, but it's still a lot of guys who are capable of being yeah. good receivers in that pass. I have attack. questions there. That's where I have questions. I, I don't think they... I just think it's all there for Baltimore. It's it is, all but... there for Baltimore. This is a Super yeah. Bowl caliber team, in my opinion, and that's my I, what matters most. I don't think that's crazy. I... I... I'm a big fan of the Ravens roster. I think that some guys got to step up in the pass game. 
in a way outside their comfort zone and and that's why they're letting teams that are not even on their on the same playing field as them hang around it's how they lost the Steelers who I mean I could I want to sit here and say the Ravens are 50 times better than the Steelers but they lost the Steelers so they they gave that game away Uh, who do you think okay so just as a as a little um conversation with the Titans who do you think starts the last game of the season at quarterback for this? Will team? Levis. Do you th- okay, so you, you think no question is Levis? You can't draft a guy unless Malik, unless Malik just runs wild with this opportunity. But what have we seen from Malik Willis to think that is is going to happen yeah. right now? Yeah. I hope I hope it does. I'm rooting for Malik Willis. I know. I would love to, for Malik to play as good as he possibly can. I just don't know if it's going to hold off Levis. I think Levis. I think Levis starts the last game and, and probably a few games prior to that for this team down the right. stretch. All right. So 49ers Browns. Oh yeah. All right. So Browns win this game. Hats off to him, man. Nineteen to seventeen, they take down Brock Purdy. Now you know down the stretch, some injuries to Debo Samuel, some injuries to Christian McCaffrey. Um, injury to Trent Williams, right? So they had some some big name players that weren't available as they were kind of going through that uh, that last ditch effort to try to get ahead on the scoreboard. But hey, Browns did what nobody else has been able to do in the regular season. That's hand Brock Purdy that L. And so, uh, what did you think about this one? What mattered most for you? So I'll say this about the Browns before my what matters most, which is Niners centric. The Browns like the Jets. And I'm trying to think if there's another team in the NFL like this. You know what? The Eagles are like this too. Those teams can win games on the backs of their defense and it, and their run game in ways that a lot of teams really can't in today's NFL. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they win a game and you're like, how the hell did they win that game? When you look at what they got out of their quarterback, maybe the Eagles don't fall into it because Jalen's really, really good. But I think they they complement or supplement Jalen better than most teams with the jets and the Browns. You look at, I mean, the Browns were starting PJ Walker in this game, not too far removed from having to start Dorian Thompson Robinson. And that speaks volumes to what they have everywhere else on the team, notably the defense. And it's, it's wildly impressive. It's why they can come out and beat anybody on any given day. And it's how they beat the Niners. But what matters most for me for this game is Niners centric. And that is, we are going to find out a lot about Brock Purdy without Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. Sure. And I don't think, because some people might respond, well, yeah, you're gonna, like, good luck to any quarterback without his two best weapons. He still has Brandon Ayuk. He still has George Kittle. He still has Kyle Shanahan. Like, they, And I'm not a Brock Purdy hater. I'm not. I have no reason to be. I just, and I think Brock Purdy's done a lot of really good things. I think he's gotten a lot better this year. But I think there is now... And this game is a good example of it because, yeah, you could say they got in position to win the game with the field goal. He mm-hmm. didn't. He almost gave the game away on that drive. Correct. Yeah, it yeah. was not a good There's, drive. There is so much nuance with right. Brock Purdy that does not get talked about. No, and this like, is a good place to actually have the conversation. Dude, I mean, we had people on oh, on so, uh, bad. the big TV networks last year, last week, last week, saying that Brock Purdy should be like front runner for MVP. It's like, come on. We have made pendulum always swings too far one way or the other. It's either so much progress right. to contextualize stuff like this. What are we right. doing? It's it can never like it always has to be one end of the spectrum. It's I've seen it 
Well, Brock Purdy is like a you like a AI generated quarterback that just presses a button that Kyle Shanahan tells him to, and that's where the ball goes. I mean, if then, you told me that, then I'd probably believe you. Then there's they the, somehow figured out a way to have surgery into Brock Purdy's brain to where it was actually a micro trip that 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 Kyle Shanahan was controlling with an Xbox controller on the sideline. Connor, I'd believe you. you I would wrote believe a Black you. Mirror episode. You just, just wrote started, a Black just, Mirror episode. I just started watching that show. Oh well, I would, I would stop if you want your I was brain say, to function. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it'll eat at you. So, and, and then there's obviously the conversation where people are like, "Well, Brock Purdy's actually an elite quarterback," and if Brock Purdy plays at a really high level without a couple of these guys and in some big games for the Niners, then it's a big statement by him. But I think without those two. Especially those two, because Debo and Christian McCaffrey schematically are the the most manufactured touches, right? Like Ayuk mm-hmm. actually plays the wide receiver position, I think, Very well in its too. more natural form. Kittle's a, a you know athletic tight end. Debo is a, is a very unique weapon. Christian McCaffrey is a very unique weapon. It is easier to get the ball in their hands than it is the other guys, and that's why the. the the difficulty level just got cranked up for Brock Purdy. Yeah, I, I well, man, I I do want to touch on on Brandon Ayuk before I flip over to my what matters most from Cleveland. But dude, Ayuk is having an unbelievable season. I mean, he had a really productive year last year, over a thousand yards. But we're gonna get to Tyree Kill later this show. Tyree Kill is the only player who has a higher receiving grade and a higher yards per route run average than Brandon Ayuk does right now. This dude's the offense for this team. Yeah. You know, I I I I under I do agree with what you're saying. It's not as manufactured as it is for those other guys, but holy hell, it's almost 30% of a wide receiver usage percentage. You know, they're going to this guy a lot, and he continues to reward him. Uh Ayuk is just playing incredible ball. So it deserves that recognition. You know, you, you talked about how the Niners have a defense where they can win you games. The Browns. You throw, what'd you say? The Browns. What? Have a defense that can win you games. Didn't you say that about the Niners, or did I miss that? No, oh, okay. I, was, I said I said Browns, Jets, Eagles. To be fair, the Niners too, but they have so much Ferrari on offense that you yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. I know, it, you know. So I was I was well, I was about to echo that anyways. I was about to say the Browns are absolutely a team that can win games with their defense. I looked yeah. up some statistics for them before the show. Number one in the NFL in EPA per play allowed because. It, it, this defense isn't just good it's insane so number one in epa per play allowed first in total yards per game allowed it's 200 they're averaging only giving up 200 total yards we're six weeks into the season <laughs> like last year to give people context last year the niners were number one in the nfl and they were giving up 300 yards per game they were number one and were giving up 100 more yards per game than what the Cleveland Browns are averaging right now. In order for you to find a defense that even allowed less than 250 yards on the season, you'd have to go all the way back to 2008. It was the 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers. So that's, and that's, I think the Steelers were at 237. So the, the, Information that I have only went back to 2004. So, I, you know, you go back pretty damn far, I think, to find a team that had a season total of only 200 yards allowed. Now, I think that that, that number is going to go up, but 
it just is a testament to what Jim Schwartz is doing with that unit. And when you look at what's different between this year and last year, I first looked at the blitz rate. I was like, okay, are they being more aggressive? Are they trying to manufacture pressure more? Are they really getting after the quarterback? Because they are at a pretty high clip. And no, the blitz percentage is pretty much the same. I mean, I think that they're they're blitzing around 30% of the time this year, where it was just over 25% last year. But that's kind of around the same percentage. That's that's not a big shift in in um in philosophy there. But what is different this year is they are playing a lot more single high man coverage. Last year, they played in either cover three or quarters. So some sort of zone coverage. 54% of the time. This year, they're playing in cover one. So single high responsibilities with man underneath over 40% of the time. Now, I think a big difference there is Juan Thornhill, who they signed from the Chiefs this past offseason. And he has been the guy who has been their primary free safety. It's allowed Grant Delpit to play a lot more in the box, so he's more of a physical strong safety type. And it's allowed guys like Denzel Ward and and, uh, Martin Emerson to be able to play close to the line of scrimmage and play press and play man. And so that is how the Browns are being more aggressive this year. They're looking at the guy on the other side of the line of scrimmage. They're looking him in the eye and they're saying, I'm covering you. Across the board with Juan Thornhill, a ton of experience, two-time Super Bowl champ, in that spot to play that center fielder role. So it's all just coming together for him. Just some numbers there to contextualize what the Cleveland Browns are doing. They're kind of just manning up and and trusting a lot of their guys. And now they have somebody on the back end who they trust a ton clearly to play that deep safety role. So Browns are rolling, man. What a, what a win for them and, and what a season for their defense so far. That's a great call out because he is one of the guys in the league that has the vision and range to allow you to do that. And I think it's become a little bit of a lost art in a sense. Like it's, it's almost, if you ask someone like, Hey, name the best, like single, true roaming single high back end safeties in the league. It's, I feel like it's, it is a lost art. It's very hard to do. Not a lot of teams are comfortable running it as much anymore. And Thornhill. Well, we live in, we, we just live in a too deep world now, right? I mean, it's right. the exactly it's, it's the drop eight thing where you're going up against yeah. the best quarterbacks in the NFL and you're just dropping as many guys as you can into coverage. And when that's the case, you don't have to play single high. So it's uh it's definitely well, a when you can though. The, when you can, it's fun. You can get aggressive as hell and play a lot more man coverage. So exactly. Um yeah, man, just a, a a great combination of of skill and deployment of that skill from from Schwartz and that that Cleveland unit. So where are we going next? Panthers, Dolphins. All right. What do we for what? me? I mean, there's nothing to say about Miami that we haven't already said. I think right now. I mean, you have a crazy Tyreek Hill touchdown. Tua is Tua. Raheem Mostert has been awesome for this team. Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel. Like for me, Trevor, what mattered most is I thought Bryce Young looked better in this game right out of the gate and is going to be fine i mean the things that we loved about bryce as a prospect were really on display in this game the anticipation the feel it's also too when you go back to it it's nice that adam Thielen is having this season at what age 33 or something like that Mm -hmm. it's it's a fun story good for adam Thielen. good for the panthers the fact that bryce young has to pepper this version of Adam Thielen with double digit targets every single week yeah. speaks volumes of what is, or should I say what is not around Bryce young right now. So all you can do is evaluate him 
individually in a vacuum because there's not much else around him that's going right besides Thielen. And I think what we saw that Bryce yesterday, especially in the first half, was the closest thing we've seen to the Alabama Bryce we grew to love. Yeah, we talked on the show last week when we did What Matters Most, and you and I agreed that it it just it, Bryce is just thinking too much. Certainly before this week, it looked like he it was just in his own head. That's kind of the way that I put it. And to start the game against Miami, they were very quick. They were quick on the line. They had yeah, quick tempo yeah. stuff. It was it was it was almost like a a little bit of a two minute drill that they operated for that entire first quarter. And with it, Bryce looked very confident. There wasn't this overthinking that was going on. He saw the field. He made the decision, and he threw with great pace and accuracy. So yeah, as the as the game went on, obviously the scoreboard gets a lot of, a little out of control. Miami adjusts a little bit, and it's hard to kind of keep that tempo on forever at the college or sorry at the at the NFL level. So I just thought that I agree with you completely. It was it was a little bit encur- well, it was very much encouraging watching Bryce play decisive, yeah. and that's something that we did not see from him from previous weeks. So I agree. I think Bryce is going to be. I think Bryce is going to be fine, man. The part about this game that I was going to mention about the Dolphins. You said, what more can be said about the Dolphins? Uh, I'll add something new. Tyreek Hill MVP? Like, how close are we to actually having that conversation right now? Connor, the man is averaging over five yards per route run. It, this wild. isn't this isn't per target. This isn't per reception. Every single time Tyreek Hill runs a route, the average is that the offense is going to pick up five yards if they go to him, knowing that he's not getting the ball thrown to him. That just shows when they go to this guy and how often they target him. He rewards them at a level that I don't even know, man. I I, I didn't have the time to go back and look how far back five yards per route run would rank over the last whatever it is 15 years of pff data but i'm pretty damn confident it's number one so we are talking about a historic season from tyree kill and what he is able to do for that dolphins offense Tua right now is the odds on mvp because he plays quarterback for that offense. that's that's right that's it that's the combo with tyree kill but does Tyreek Hill deserve to have that MVP? I, I understand that the world that we live in, it's going to go to a quarterback. But I think there's a legit case for Tyreek Hill to actually be that MVP from that offense. That's the, that's the something new that I would bring to the table because his his numbers aren't just good. It's not just, oh, yeah, look, another Tyreek Hill good, good game. It's historic, man. It's historic stuff that he's doing right now. It makes you ask the question, and you'd really have to think about this. Who's the more replaceable player in the Dolphins situation? Is it like you say you go from Tua gets hurt and you go to Mike White or Tyreek gets hurt and you really just have Waddle? I get it. Berrios and Craycraft and Chase Claypool, the vending machine. Like I, I know they have depth at wide receiver, but. It's true. It's really true. Like that offense is Tyreek, even without the ball. Right. That's the key to me. It's Correct. without the the amount of space. Like Raheem Mostert's had a nice player. He's a good. He has. He's had a good career. 
we don't look at Raheem Mostert like he's Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, you know, Brees Hall, B. John Robinson. It's because and the offensive line doesn't have a ton of talent. They have a good scheme. Mm-hmm. But the amount of space that McDaniel creates and has the puzzle piece of Tyreek to Correct. do it. Right. Interesting if, combo. If you if you ask me, that offense and what they do, the foundation of it is Tyreek Hill. It is. It's not, that's, it's not Tua. It's Tyreek Hill. I agree. I agree. I think their entire offensive strategy is built around Hill. And because of that, I understand he doesn't play quarterback. I, I know that that's not how the award works. I'm just throwing it out there. The season it's, it's an offensive award, typically a quarterback award. And you usually have to be one of the best on one of the best offenses to win it on a winning team. Mm. It che- checks every box. I'm just it checks I'm every box. He's he is he is plus seventy five hundred right now to win, uh, and I believe it. And Tyree I don't kill, need, You know what's he, crazy? He's actually not the top offensive player that's not a quarterback because McCaffrey's at like plus twelve. McCaffrey's higher. Yeah. yeah. And I I know it's crazy, Trevor. Like mm. I think you are right, and I still think it's a bad bet. Isn't that crazy? Sure. Right. Well, you, I think it's you are it's right. We know. Yeah. It's yeah. because this is a this is a voted award, mm-hmm. and it's a broken award, in my opinion. I agree. I agree so, with you. Before we get to our next game, yeah, uh, this this fall season, it's all about the checklist, right? Whether it's to get back to school, you're getting in a new work routine, workout routine, whatever it is, you're setting up checklists. But the most important part on that checklist should always be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. It was designed by parents for parents to get you high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policies in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family's budget with quality policies such as million-dollar coverage. For less than a dollar a day, get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family by applying today in just minutes over at meetfabric.com slash stock exchange. That's M-E-E-T fabric.com slash stock exchange. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, what game we hit next? Vikings Bears, because I think this is a quicker one. All right. I wrote I literally wrote down in my notes app while doing all these games. Caleb Williams bowl part one is complete. Like that's what matters. Nothing else mattered from this game. Justin Fields got hurt. Yeah. Which sucks, but he got hurt again. Like Justin Fields got hurt again. Uh I mean the Vikings won. It wasn't pretty. No, it was not. It indeed was not. It wasn't a win where I'm like, I didn't. I didn't. This is watch... where the Vikings turn it around. <laughs> no, this is where the Vikings start to lose a grasp on getting Drake May, and this is where the Bears really are positioned now that they're going to be without Fields. I can't wait till we get back into the bit that's like, oh, this team just had a crushing win, just an yeah. absolute. It's kind of what I'm win. saying. <laughs> It's kind of what I'm saying. The Giants, by the way, we'll get there. I mean, yeah. the, and, and Giants fans probably still want to win. I don't feel that way with Bears fans. 
or Vikings fans, I always kind of engage the pulse of the fan base. Yeah. But the Giants Vikings still want to get this season right and would have mm. loved to win over the Bills. You know, take with that what you will. This one, though, was the Caleb Williams Bowl, where I feel like both teams are like, mm, you know, it's going to be a big loss for us. <laughs> what a clutch loss for the <laughs> Chicago Bears here. The in owners in the locker room high-fiving everyone. <laughs> my, uh, None my of y'all will be here, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my what matters most from this game is uh, I, I agree. Uh, certainly the results are, are a big part of what matters most, but man, Lou Getze, Chicago's offensive coordinator, it's bad. Yeah, it's, like it's yeah. real. Like to me, that's the what matters most because it whether it's fields, which doesn't look like it's going to be fields. But whether it's Fields or whether it's some other quarterback, like this guy's just not great at this, man. I'm not going to pretend to have put the headset on and be a play caller before, but there were there have been multiple instances over the last couple of weeks where he just it, they're just making it so much more difficult. Um, I saw this from Leah Rahimi's timeline, who works for NBC Sports in Chicago, and she pointed out a couple of the things from this past game. But I went back to the Broncos game as well. There was an instance, fourth and one versus the Broncos. You're setting up in shotgun, and it's a shotgun run. Like, come on, man. You're making the game more difficult. It's fourth and one. We're, we live in the age of the tush push. Like, you don't, even, you don't even have to do that exact play. But you're, you are an offense. If the Chiefs line up in shotgun in fourth and one, I'm going to go, wow, great call, Andy. I will trust you with my entire life. I'll do a trust fall over the Grand Canyon with Andy Reid. I'm not going to do that with Chicago. They haven't earned that. The, Chicago yeah. makes offense look hard enough. So when you have fourth and one, you have one yard to gain to get a first down. You are going to purposefully snap the ball three extra yards back and say, no, 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 we got this. No, for, forget the one yard. We're going to pick up four yards from when I hand it off to the running back. You're the Chicago Bears. No, you're not. You're making it more difficult on your team. This past week versus the Vikings, it was a 6-6 to game at this point. It was third and two. They're in field goal range, and they go shotgun. What? Just run the ball. You're already in field goal. Just run the ball. If you one, if I we've said this before multiple times on the podcast. Third and two. If you can't pick up the two yards, you suck. That's just like plain and simple. That like the offense sucks. Pick, go pick up the two yards. Run the football. Make it happen. But they didn't. They lined up in shotgun. They got two yards a game. And they lined up in shotgun. Later in the game, it's six to six. Third and seven. They're in field goal range, and they just run the ball out of shotgun on third and seven. Like That's quitting. And then you settle for a long field goal. Like, come on, man. What do you do? Just That's why you're a bad it, team. It's 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 that is to me the what matters most because the wins and losses mean a lot for the draft position. But moving forward, whatever they are going through on offense with when it comes to the decision making the philosophy everything like it's just it's not good right now and that to me is important because they've got to figure that part out too before they bring in whoever the next quarterback is for the bears so there you yeah go. i think uh, listen no doubt it's it is an important conversation because if this franchise transitions to a top quarterback pick this year like a lot of us think they are li- starting to you know head that way you're in evaluation mode right now. And a lot of people are asking me when Fields had those two good weeks, they're like, what's what's so different? And I'm like, well, they're actually scheming up some throws for him and he's just hitting them. 
Like, I, yeah. I didn't think he was playing out of his mind. Right. But I thought the offense was finally doing him some favors. And Washington's defense also played terrible that game that they scored a lot of points on. Horrific. But horrific. So, okay. Well, now we can get to uh, a matchup of teams that are right in the thick of things. And that would be for me the Bengals and Seahawks Ooh, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, for you? What mattered the most in this game and for the Bengals going forward is they really just try to get right on offense, like consistently, not a week here or a quarter here or there, and try to get healthy. T. Higgins gutting this out. They are very Jamar Chase one-dimensional. But what mattered for me is that the Bengals' pass rush was dominant in this game. Dominant. And the type of pass rush that uh, is the playoff Bengals' defense we're accustomed to seeing, they had Geno Smith in absolute hell for a lot of this game. I mean, just to kind of show you the pressures from next-gen stats, Sam Hubbard had nine, Trey Hendrickson had seven, mm -hmm. DJ Reader had six, BJ Hill had six, Cam Sample, shout out to Cam Sample. I really liked him coming out of Tulane that year. Um, he had three. So the Bengals' front was absolutely cooking against, you know, what's left of the Seattle offensive line. And, and they're going to have to... They're going to have to carry the load sometimes this year because the Bengals just aren't right on offense. And, you know, eventually we're going to run out of time for them to get right on offense. But they, they have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, so there's always that chance they figure it out because those are the two best players at their position in this league. But the Bengals front really, really took over this game, in my opinion. I agree with you. And I'll take it even kind of like a step further, maybe a, a, into like a long-term outlook. I said this a handful of times last year on the podcast and i still think it's true the Bengals have one of the best home field advantages in the nfl mm, good call out Te the team wins so much if you include the postseason last year this team is nine and two at home since the beginning of 2022 they they are they are clearly better at home and i think that defense comes alive when they are at home it's not like i i just looked it up real quick and it, it's not staggering it's not like they're a top five unit at home and they're you know 20th in the nfl when they're not it's it's not quite that big of a difference but it is certainly better when they're at home and i think that you see that defense feed off of that home crowd really really well and then knowing that you've got a healthy burrow when he's healthy on the other side of things it just makes for a great pair when the defense is going to play better and you know that that's going to most likely be the case when they're playing at home so I bring that up to say what matters most to me is the team's back in a groove. Yeah, they're three and three, and technically they're in fourth place of the division, but they're back on track. Burrow looks great again, and this team would benefit greatly from winning this division. And not like they weren't already giving it their all to win the division, but to me, when we talk about a potential Super Bowl run for the Cincinnati Bengals, how often they are at home to start the playoffs and throughout the playoffs, that could mean all the difference in the world uh, for a team that uh, the numbers are staggering for how well they play when they are at home. So that is my, uh, that, that was my, what matters most from that game. It's a great point. They that's absolutely spot on. They are a beast at home. They are a team that when the defense is humming up front, they, a, nobody ever talks about the Bengals defense because they have, star talent at the most exciting positions in football that also coincide with fantasy and highlights. And that's quarterback wide receiver. Mm -hmm. But 
the defense is just as much of a reason of why the Bengals have always been hovering around a Super Bowl in recent years. And Ooh, I, I and felt Romo, like, baby, one of the best yeah, DCs yes. in the NFL. Yes, um, absolutely. So, okay, let's keep them moving. And we go Falcons commanders. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me in this one, a big win for the commanders who are, are just all over the place this year. But I actually have a Falcons one. This is now, this is not the first time in anything different from when we evaluated him as a prospect. But when Drake London gets a real quarterback, like he, he's going to be that dude. That's all I could think of when watching this game and watching Drake London. And it's completely insane that there's been some games where he's been a complete afterthought. In this game, he was targeted uh, quite a bit, Drake London. He was targeted 12 times. He caught nine of those 12 targets for 125 yards. He is a player that it, it got seven of those were for a first down, by the way. He is a true above the rim, you know, contested catch, big body, can really trust him to go up and make a play kind of target. And mm -hmm. in a league that gets smaller at this position every year, it feels like London can be a really, really special player. And Desmond Ritter did drop back and throw a lot in this game. That's something that we're not used to. He also made some really dumb mistakes. And I look at Drake London and go, if they get it right long-term at quarterback, like Drake London is a 1,400-yard player in my eyes, Trevor. You know I love it. You know I oh, absolutely yeah. love those words. Drake London uh, is somebody whose skill set I absolutely love, and, and that is going up and being a grown-ass man over whoever's trying right. to cover him. And we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. I, I've said before, his draft class felt like he was a wide receiver one in this league, and, and and I'm glad that he was picked as such by the Falcons, and I'm glad that when their passing game allows it, that they run their passing game through him because uh, he has the talent that deserves it. You know, my what matters most, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but um, Desmond Ritter, he does not have the ball placement no. that you need to have to be a consistent starting quarterback in the NFL. You know, his adjusted completion percentage is over 70%. The last two years that he started at Cincinnati, it was also above 70%. So it's not the worst thing in the world. I think people can point to those numbers and say, well, he's not terrible with accuracy. Uh, I think ball placement is different. Ball placement is different than accuracy. And there were times this past weekend where you're just missing a guy by a little bit. And in the NFL, the margin for error is so small. And I just don't, think Ritter has that trait that he can just consistently have that kind of elite ball production that you're going to want to see, um, especially for a team that would have the chance to what we think is probably have the chance to pick a quarterback this upcoming year. So ball placement remains an issue. Sam Howell also is just such an enigma right now to me. He has been sacked 34 times this year, by far the most in the NFL. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because Tyrod Taylor started this past week and Daniel Jones is second with 28. So maybe if, if Daniel yeah, Jones would that played, get him, what'd you say? I where'd that put him out of out of playing? Well, yeah, so. and I, I, I just sacks are not always an offensive line stat, right? Right. In fact, there are plenty of instances where a sack is a quarterback sack even more than it is the offensive line. So it's not just the offensive line not playing up to par with Washington. There's just, it, it feels erratic. It, it just, it, sometimes he's holding on to the ball way too long. Sometimes he just doesn't see it when he needs to. Uh, sometimes he just makes the decision to kind of tuck it and run maybe before he should. Navigates the pocket in a way that's 
counterproductive, like whatever it is. It just, it feels so, and it's unfortunately for Washington. And I hate to criticize it too much because it was a great win, but this kind of goes into another point that I have. I have no idea which Washington team I'm getting every week. No, no one does. No, I have no idea. I mean, Washington took the Philadelphia Eagles to overtime a couple of weeks ago, and then they got blown out by the Bears. Like, I, it, it does not get more Washington Commanders 2023 than that. And to me, this was, again, a game where, all right, they beat the Falcons. My my immediate response is, sure, man. Sure. Okay. Great. It's it, it's They are going to be the most up-and-down team this season. But what I really want to see and what matters most is, Sam's got to navigate the pocket better. He cannot keep taking all these sacks because it's just going to, it's just going to hurt the team in the long run. It's growing year from him. It's okay that we're seeing it now, but I want to see it get better as time goes on. I'm with you all the way. Saints Texans, potentially the most forgotten game of the day. Um, I, I, I think you're going to, you know, take the big home run cut on this one. So I'll be quick. Maybe it's pre- it's probably premature to say this, but Trevor Penning looks awful every time he has to play football. And, I, I didn't even I didn't even look up Penning's numbers. Uh, he gave up five pressures and a sack. Called two two penalties were called on him. Grade last time I looked, I know they get a little fluid the first twenty four hours while we're adjusting and everyone's doing their thing. It was at a forty eight point three. Listen, I love what I see from Will Anderson. Like I do. Will Anderson was awesome in this mm-hmm. game. He was awesome. But I, at what point can Penning play? Yeah, I mean, you draft Penning in the first round to block Will Anderson, right? Right, you, right. like, yeah, you, you can't, just because you're giving the hat tip to Will, Will Anderson. Anderson. Right, <laughs> right. Not, is that Miles Garrett? It's not going to get easier out there. And even if just, it was, you know, it's like you're drafting the guy in the first round to block good pass yeah. rushers. You didn't, it's not like Trevor Penning was a fourth round pick. No. It's um, I, I just that that's a tough that's if that pick goes wrong for the Saints, it's it's really going to set back their offensive line for a while, considering the resources. I can't remember who they picked petting over. Let's look it up. Let's play. Let's play a fun little game called how did the 2022 NFL draft go? What? All right. I, I clicked 2022 in Wikipedia and that brought me to uh, the year in review. I got gotcha. you. I don't want this. Drafthistory.com. Okay, so Icky was off the board. Evan Neal was off the board. Charles Cross is off the board. Damn, Kenny Green was also off the board. Oh, yeah, Kenny Green went 15. So Trevor Penny goes 19. Tyler Smith got picked after him. Cole Strange got picked after him. Tyler Linderbaum got picked after him. I guess Abe, Linderbaum... Abe Lucas had a really good rookie season. Yeah, Abe, but Abe was like a third round pick. So yeah, I, don't no, wanna, I mean, that wasn't happening. I, yeah, I don't want to go too revisionist no, history on it. But I, it's not even that, though, to me. I just don't know when Penning became a first round player that year. Uh, when he <laughs> fought everyone at the senior bowl <laughs> when and he almost won, got, he almost got the, everyone at the senior bowl. When wasn't it Salah had to tell him to like chill the fuck out? He was going to get a quarterback hurt. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, yeah, Penning, Penning, a lot of his highlights that came out of Mobile were, were like, fighting. We're like after the whistle. At, yeah, look at how he plays after the whistle. It's like that's right. a penalty in the NFL. Don't you lose the game because of that. It's okay. not fun anymore. And he's heavily penalized right now. It's so. not NFL blitz where you could hit someone after the play. But if it, it would, was, if it was, it would be sick. 
but that's not allowed. Maybe he's putting out tape for the future XFL, you know? It's a tough one. The Saints are a weird team this year. Three and yeah. three. Saints, three and three, weird team. Saints piss me the hell off. <laughs> I mean, this... We're, we're really... We're really taking it easy on them this week. I mean, I, the, the Saints, you should not take yeah. it easy on the Saints because yeah, no, I get it. They're they're three and three this year. Uh, I think they beat the Packers if Derek Carr doesn't get hurt. So you I'm with you. you probably could have counted that one as a win. But this game was so frustrating against Houston, and it's not to take anything away from Houston, but it's like this offense is so feast or famine that it's just it's beyond frustrating. You you look at they had a I can't remember if this was all in the same series or if this is or if one of them was in the series before. But the game's coming down to the wire. Right? New Orleans has to score. They're at a point where they've got to push the ball. They're down seven. They've got to get in the end zone. It was like all four of their plays. Once they got within striking distance, were like fade routes to Michael Thomas, like 40 yards down the field. Everything was just as difficult of a throw as possible. He wasn't getting separation, and they just kept force feeding the same thing. They had time to actually attack over the middle once, get a big chunk yards, get closer, get into the red zone, and then you got so many more things open other than just a 45-yard bomb or whatever it was. I don't remember. It was just so frustrating to me, the lack of creativity that they had on that very last chance. And it doesn't give me a lot of faith for what they're going to do moving forward. I mean, Derek Carr had an instance, and this is the point that really pissed me off, because I think this was the series before. They were going for it on fourth down again. It was fourth and three, and they throw they throw like three yards short of the sticks. It's fourth and three. Essentially, the game's on the line, and you just throw it short of the sticks and tell Alvin Kamara, hey, if you don't break three tackles, game's over. Like, how is Derek Carr even throwing that pass? Right. When did Derek Carr become Kirk Cousins in that regard? Right? Like, that is the moment last year when Kirk threw it five yards short of the sticks on on fourth and eight in the playoffs or whenever it was, when – People went, okay, this is it. The Kirk Cousins era is over. We're giving it one more year. That's it. He's gone. The contract is good. We're moving on. This guy does not have it. He will not push the ball to where it needs to go. And it's just so dysfunctional with the Saints, with Carr. And the reason why I say it pisses me off is because I think Derek Carr is a really talented quarterback. He just can never put it together. No, he can't. And with Pete Carmichael as the offensive coordinator, Carmichael's clearly not helping. I wondered if he would. He's clearly not. If you're throwing it three yards short of the line of scrimmage on fourth and three with the game on the line and making Alvin Kamara break three tackles, the game's over. Like you, the process is broken. And I think the Saints are a good enough all around team to where they're going to win a handful of games this year. But man, they should look better. And I think it's extremely frustrating how they don't look better as a team. So that's my take. I'm with you. That was my rant. They have no. I'm with you all the way. They have the talent. They're in, you know, obviously a division that's right there for the taking. Derek Carr. This is a guy that's throwing the ball away on fourth down. So, these mistakes happening. I forgot. I mean, really. (laughs) So (laughs) that play lives right for him. I think about that play once a week. I don't know why. 
It's just, yeah. So a tough one for the Saints. Good for the Texans, man. Good for the Texans. They are, we say it every week, they are building it right with D'Amico. They are building it right through their draft. Yeah. They're gonna be they're gonna be just all right for the long term. I, I agree. No, shout out to Houston. Um, hey, this pro this podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Our friends over at Prize Picks, they're getting in, they're getting in on the uh on the NFL SC action to tell you guys all about how you can put some cheddar cheese on the line. Not only talk smack, say, oh, I think that this guy's gonna do this, but make some cold hard cash for it. Connor, I know that you've taken a peek into some prize pick lines for next week. What entries do you like from our friends at prize picks when it comes next week? Because this is the time to get it in, folks. You want to get it in early before any of the lines change. So what do you like? So it's very early. I am looking at two Buffalo Bills. One, I and you know why we're sitting here, Josh Allen's injury status is a little bit uh, unclear. Let's assume all is okay. Josh is the guy that seems to just always play anyway. Yeah. I like Stephon Diggs to have more than 86 and a half receiving yards. He's gone four straight games of a hundred plus. He five of his last five of his six this year have been a hundred plus. So let's go over that 86 and a half. This is Stephon Diggs offense. I'll go more than okay. 86 and a half receiving yards. And then the other one for the Bills, James Cook's rushing against New England is at 53 and a half. I will go less than that. I think New England will do everything they can to stop James Cook. Trevor, what are you looking at? Okay, I went off about how I think Lamar is playing incredibly well. His line right now, 45 and a half versus Detroit for rushing yards. I'm going more. Mm, I I like that that one a lot. Detroit's going to emphasize it. I get it, but it's still Lamar. He's playing very, very well over the last two games. He's been either right at 45. Actually, I think one game he was at 45 and then last week, in London, he went over that 45 and a half. So I'm going to stick with the trend. I think he goes more than 45 and a half on that rushing total. And then this one, I think this one's easy money, dude. Cooper Cup, Los Angeles Rams are playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. I have that correct, right? They're playing the Steelers. And I got to make sure. Yeah. Got to make sure. Yeah. The Steelers cannot cover Cooper Cup. They don't not, have the not play- many humans. They can. do not have the players to do it. The line is 97 and a half receiving yards. Cup has gone more than that in each of his last two games that he has been back from injury, and he is facing the juiciest matchup yet. We're going more, baby. We're smashing more. Dude, he's, going, uh, I, I, he's 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 going so much more than 95, 97 and a half. I'm on both of yours. Three, um, three, I'm on both of those. I'm w- with Lamar. Getting the rushing going against the Lions, and I do like Cooper to have more. I think he's a you know hundred yards lock. It feels like Puka Nakua, nice story, but this is still Cooper Cup's offense. It is still Cooper Cup's offense. If you guys don't know what Prize Picks is, Prize Picks is a skill based real money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? Well, you pick at least two, so two to six players. And if they go more or less than their prize picks projections, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry, depending on how many uh, how many players you throw in there. Prize picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. Watch your progress update in real time and get up to 25 times your entry amount and cash winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. 
At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Entries can be made in less than 60 seconds. It is that easy. Uh, and there's also a lot of frequent discounts, bonuses, more exciting offers, all that good stuff. Go to prizepicks.com backslash NFLSE. Use the promo code NFLSE for a first deposit match up to $100. Guys, it's a free $100. If you're going to sign up for it, use the promo code prizepicks.com backslash NFLSE. Use the promo code NFLSE for a first deposit match up to $100. If you want to put it all on the line for Cooper Cup, I wouldn't hate you for it, but um, I assume no risk. Assume no risk and liabilities. It's the legal document that I've signed. You can't come after my stuff. I'm an LLC. All right, what do you got next? What's the uh, what's what's next on the schedule? I think this closes out the one o'clock. Colts, Jags, sure, yeah. Colts, uh, Jags. I'll Jags let I'll let un- yeah. I'll let you start this one. I was just gonna say Jags looked unstoppable against the Colts. Yeah, this game it, wasn't even as close as the thirty-seven to twenty indicates. Everything that Jacksonville was doing seemed to be working. I mean, we've got an Evan Ingram one-handed catch. We've got multiple receivers scoring touchdowns. You know, you got a wildcat formation. Travis Etienne scores a couple of times. Like they, the Jags just imposed their will on the Indianapolis Colts who um, and Gardner Minshew showed why he's a backup quarterback in the league. I know he's kind of like that fringe backup, that preferred backup. I, I should say that's probably a better way to say it, but I like when that. it all comes down to it, like you draft Anthony Richardson at four for a reason, you're trying to upgrade to something that's got a higher ceiling. And um, not that there was any real quarterback controversy before, but my big takeaway was that that this is what it's supposed to look like for Jacksonville. And it was really good to see they on both sides of the ball, them playing really well and that they're capable of doing that uh, throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, I think for me, I, I like that you brought up the spread of the wealth on offense, how they can really spread the ball around and get a lot of guys involved. I think one very, you know, I should say micro thing in this game is I thought this was some of the best we've seen of Trayvon Walker so far. And I've been personally really tough on this pick. He had a 19.4% pass rush win rate, which for Trayvon, he's a guy that does not find himself into the double digits very easily. Um, I thought he was very effective all around in this game. And I think if this is the version of Trayvon Walker, they can get, that's a big step in the right direction for a defense that, as it going at all three levels, like the secondary has been awesome. They got speed in the middle of the field. They got good players up front and Trayvon being a big part of that would, would really take them to another level. I would love to see it, man. It's 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 they, they need it. They really need it. Josh Allen has been playing really well. Um, I think it's a contract year for him. Isn't it Josh Allen's right? Should be. I think he's in the last last year of his deal. So good time to be playing really good football, but they need more than just him if they're going to get to where they want to go for sure. Uh, the 4 p.m. slate, you know, East Coast time. You're on the West Coast. Yeah, this is, where, this is where the party started. Uh, do we want to hit Patriots Raiders first? <laughs> sure. Okay, what do you got? What do you got? I, just the demise of New England. Um, I, I have a serious take here. I really do. What, was I, the I demise, be... demise of New England not serious? Because I, I would tell you that it is. It is, but it is. They'll still find a way to beat Zach Wilson and the Jets. It's the, like it's. I don't know how. I don't know how, but that is the game that they find a way to win. It's sickening. Here's my thing with New England right now. I'm fascinated by this Bill Belichick situation and why I am 
is because you have a legend of the sport of the franchise that mm-hmm. this is a delicate situation. Like you can't just fire Bill Belichick and just start the process over and be like, okay, like it's that's not what happens here. Robert Kraft owns the team. He can fire Bill Belichick, but it's it's very delicate across mm-hmm. the board for respect sure. reasons and what he's done and all this. But on the bit, and I have nobody knows what Kraft's going to do. We'll get there when we get there. For me, Trevor, evaluating Belichick in a nutshell, he has to do something that all great men with egos and most great men have egos. It's just nature of human beings. He has to do something that he's uncomfortable with to revitalize his coaching career. And that's hire a real GM. It is. It's Bill Belichick, the evaluator, has dug Bill Belichick, the coach, such a hole that if he doesn't face the music and accept that, no matter how great of a coach he is, cannot get them out of it. And if I'm Robert Kraft, and understanding there's a lot of emotion here, this is a man that has been part of the reason, let's not act like Tom Brady doesn't exist, part of the reason our franchise turned the corner and turned into a dynasty my honest evaluation and, and what I would say to Bill is you you can be the coach of this team still next year. Like we believe in you. I believe in you. But we need to shake something up on the personnel side of things. And if you are not willing to accept that, then we do need to turn the page as a franchise. Everything was was great, but the time has come if you are not willing to face that music. And I'm not confident Bill Belichick will be willing to do that. I'm not either, man. I agree with you. I don't think you're wrong. I certainly agree with the sentiment that Bill Belichick, the team builder, has let down Bill Belichick, the head coach. And it's just a lot of responsibility, right? You know, yep. we've we we talk about <clears throat> these head coaches that are also coordinators and how it's really tough to be both because you're such a CEO of your team when you're the head coach. Being a head coach and a general manager, man, it's. I understand that it's it, it's less cooks in the kitchen, if you will, right? It, it it's less hands that get involved. It's it it's less of a potential cog in the machine, but man, it's it's it, it, there's no question that this roster stinks. It stinks. It stinks. And they're down some ta- like right? Like they're down Everyone Giudon. Is. They're ground That's down. That's the problem. Right, right. They're down Christian. They Gonzalez, get two but... injuries, and it's like, we're playing who at where? <laughs> where when other teams are doing we're that, playing it's like Mac Jones at quarterback. Oh, wait, there wasn't an injury for that one. That's it. That's its own issue amongst the laundry list. I, I agree with you, man. I don't know if it happens, but I certainly agree with you. Um my what matters most is actually the Las Vegas Raiders. They come off a win in this one. They get a win and hurt sitting here at three and three. And I think that we look at this Raiders roster and we also think that this is one of the worst rosters in the league. Now I think Jimmy has played decent for them. And did we find out exactly the severity of his injury? I mean, he left and then he went to the hospital. I didn't, I didn't see anything after that. When we were recording, I saw that they think they avoided the worst. So, okay, but what is does avoid the worst that, mean that he's still missing time? Maybe back injury going straight it's to the bit, hospital, like that's right. 
That's right. worrisome to me. But anyways, so if Jimmy that's misses some old time, man stuff. if Jimmy misses time, do you say that's some old man stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like your back locks up or whatever. It's scary. Brother, it really brother, is. I threw my back out last week. I've been on a heating oh, pad sorry. regularly. No. Did, Actually, did you second. do it like, from physical activity? Yeah, I was using a leg press machine that is nice, but I didn't realize that the back plate of the of the leg press machine it can go uh forward or backwards and so if you don't put it all the way back then your back can get like rounded at the bottom when you're loading all the yeah, way yeah. close to your stomach and it can like round your back just naturally from how the seat is positioned and it did that and it's just your boy's been on a steady diet of advil and heating pads ever since oh, because that's not what happens fun. when you're 32 um but anyways whether they're missing jimmy g for an extended period of time or not we looked at this roster and thought that they were destined for a top five pick i look at their current record of three and three and the rest of their schedule and i'm not so sure that's the case i think this team might play themselves out of a top five pick they've got the chicago bears next okay a winnable game at detroit that's an l New York Giants at home, that's a winnable game. Jets at home, sorry, but winnable game because it's Zach Wilson and you never know. Dolphins, automatic loss. Chiefs, automatic loss. Then it's the bye week, and then it's Minnesota. Okay, they could win that. Chargers, it's a divisional game. Chiefs, another loss. Colts, if Richardson's out for the year, that becomes winnable. And then they end the season with the Denver Broncos. So all of a sudden... We looked at this team that we said, yeah, they're they're the the Raiders are guaranteed to be a top five pick type of a team because you look at their roster. This team might win seven or eight games just because the schedule sucks. And if you do that, seven games last year could have gotten you a pick as low as eleventh overall. You win eight games, you're you're picking in the teens. So, shit, man. Raiders might not have a chance to get one of those top couple of quarterbacks if uh, they keep playing well enough to to win some of these games down the stretch. So I just noticed that and figured I'd shout it out on our uh, draft podcast. You know what? Good for them because it's we're tough on them when they've been awful under McDaniels and now they're starting to figure it out a little bit. So it's it's tough to do the like, well, now you don't get the draft of quarterback suckers. Well, but now but, I'm sure I but I get it. It is a weird, it just like the commanders, this has to be for real. Like you got to stack them. You don't want to fall into the seven win bucket. Like you just said, you know what I mean? That's the thing that you got to be careful with. Seven, eight wins is so, tough for them. Cause you're picking probably somewhere between eight and 14. But, right. You know, Oof. Who, who you got next? What are we doing next? Lions bucks. Sure. Sorry. <laughs> So, sure. I mean, we have to do it eventually. <laughs> I didn't lead with it. No. <laughs> Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange. How about the Lions win over the Bucks? <laughs> um, yeah. So, I guess the what matters most here is is Mayfield was bad. Like May- Mayfield was mm. bad in this game. If Mayfield even plays like a mid tier quarterback in this game, they maybe win. Honestly, there were some bad overthrows, some bad misses, some bad reads. I mean, Mayfield just did not play well. It was his worst game in a Buccaneers uniform yet. And I think that that matters certainly because 
of how he plays down the stretch will determine where the Bucs are not only picking in the order, but what they're doing at quarterback moving forward. And for Mayfield, I said this, I said this last week, even before the game, the crucial part of evaluating Baker Mayfield for the Buccaneers is not now or at the time when things were going very well. The crucial time for Mayfield, as it has been in most of his stops previously, is Mayfield will play well. He played well at times in Cleveland. The, the time in Carolina just got, was a nightmare, so I don't really Yeah, we kind of erase it from our brain. He, he played well in that first game against the Rams, but then he also played poorly, and he was never able to get out of playing poorly. He was not able to ride the roller coaster back up and play well again. Can he do that in Tampa Bay? Is this, is Do they have the right quarterback offensive coordinator connection between him and Dave Canales to where, all right, they were really bad against Detroit. They might have a little bit of a lull here, but can they pick it back up? Can it look even better than it did before? Because if that's the case, that's somebody that you invest in. That's the quarterback that you're probably going to run with uh, for the short term moving forward. But also, I'll say this too. The run game is horrific in Tampa Bay. Terrible. And yeah. I think the offensive line plays well. You know, they've got Rashad White, uh, Sean Tucker, big big fans on this pod, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. They're not good enough. They're just not. I mean, this team going into this week, 32nd in yards per attempt, 32nd in yards before contact, 32nd, 30, 31st in first down rushes. Now they are 32nd after this past weekend, 30th in EPA per rush, and yet they have the fifth highest rushing percentage of plays in the league. So they want to stay balanced. They want to run the football. They don't have the backs to do it. So this Tampa is never going to be a team that truly runs away from player from, from other teams that they are playing if they can't get more efficient on the ground. And right now, it's not just bad. Like It's, it's, it's last in the league bad for this team. Yeah, there's no denying that. It's it's Rashad White has had the chances too. And right, right, right. There's no efficiency there. Um, Trey Benson, right. you are <laughs> fire it up. Him and Braylon Allen, get both of them out there. Sure, figure it did, out. Did you have a what matters most for this? I did, and it's Lions, which is good. Um, it's just a weird take I have, or I don't know if it's that weird. I think we're at the point with where Goff going number one overall and it not working out with the team that drafted him number one overall for the long term. And he did a lot of really good things there, but at the end of the day, they moved on from Jared Goff. Mm -hmm. That whole start to his career has completely blurred our perception of him being a good NFL quarterback. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think he's great, but I don't think he's average at all. I think he's, I think he's honestly really good. At this point where it's like you say Jared Goff was a third round pick and this kind of just or the Kirk Cousins wrote like he went that route. It feels like people would view him differently. Mm -hmm. But since Goff was a product of McVeigh when he was really young and yes, Ben Johnson is doing good things for Jared Goff. No one is denying that. But when you watch him play now and so much of his production coincides is with are they indoors or is the weather good? Because if it's one of those two things, Goff has a really good game. Honestly, he's looks surgical to me, Trevor. 
and we you go in our system and there's not the big time throw numbers or anything crazy like that but you look at the product of running an offense seeing things pre-snap throwing with accuracy playing in rhythm allowing your players to get run after catch targets right the ball's not late there is something very like when you look at a guy and go well his players have a lot of yards after catch for him there's also an art to being the quarterback that gets the ball there early where they are set sure. up to run after the catch. 100%. Yeah. So I, I, my whole thing with Goffer at the point is it, he has such a blurred perception because of how his career started, but it's okay to look at Jared Goff and go, he's a really good NFL quarterback at this point of his career. I love it. I love the take. Where are we going next? Cardinals Rams. Um, uh, a quick one for me, okay, honestly, real quick. Mm-hmm. The Rams offense will keep them interesting all year long. They are, I thought they'd be a really bad team. I think they're a 500 or nine and eight team because Cooper Cup is one of the best skill players in the league. Sean McVay is one of the best play callers in the league. Mm-hmm. Kyron Williams got hurt in this game, but Kyron's been running with a lot of volume and running well. Matthew Stafford is still a good player. Their offense has enough that the Rams, I'm shocked by this. They will be relevant the entire season, in my opinion. I agree. I agree, man. I, I'm, I'm, I was wrong this, about them. I was this roster. Wrong. On paper, outside of their stars, I mean, it drops off so hard, I think. Certainly in recognition and what guys have done um, from a volume perspective already in this league. I mean, they're just, they're so green. They're so inexperienced. A lot of guys who are making names for themselves for the first time, which is great. And I agree with you. I I think the Rams are not going to go quietly into that good night, no matter what game they are playing. Mine is for the Cardinals. And... You know, I, I look at the Arizona Cardinals. It's certainly a team that's in a transition period. One of their first-round picks this year has to be used on an offensive line, right? I mean, you have Paris Johnson, who's playing right tackle right now. You can get out of DJ Humphrey's contract at the end of this season, um, and it's a much easier cut. He signed a three-year deal, not this past offseason, but the one before. I don't know if they would want to do that, but if they do that, it allows Paris Johnson to then go to left tackle. You could probably draft another right tackle. Like I think of this team adding um, Talisa Fuaga from Oregon State, and then all of a sudden you got Paris Johnson on one side and Fuaga on the other, and it's like, all right, now we're now we're cooking with oil. But the off, I mean, the interior offensive line is not really great either. Will Hernandez is playing well, but the other guys on there aren't. So when you look at how this offensive line is probably also a multi-year rebuild, does that go into the conversation about Kyler? Cause I think a lot of people look at how the Arizona Cardinals have been playing lately. And they say like, all right, they're not going to take the number one overall pick. They're not going to, they're probably not going to be picking that high. Uh, they're going to roll with Kyler, use the picks on something else. I think that they could still certainly do that. I wouldn't totally write off them resetting the clock for a quarterback yet, because I think that there will be ample opportunities to trade Kyler Murray and get good things in return. You get off of his contract that you signed, and then you reset it with a rookie quarterback contract. And you you know that you're still, I mean, the defensive line is nowhere near ready to compete. And I don't think the offensive line is either. So it goes back to the timeline. Like if you think that you're two, three years away from really solidifying the offensive defensive lines at that point, where is Kyler in his contract? You know, are you basically just burning all of this money in cap space, knowing that your team's not really ready and that you're not going to be as competitive as you want, uh, especially in that division. So 
ultimately, I think my what matters most goes along the lines of one of those first round picks has to be used on the offensive line. But I think it also kind of starts a conversation about the timeline of quarterbacks as well. Uh, you know, can you move on from Kyler Murray? Because they already have a lot of really good picks. But shoot, man, you can trade Kyler Murray for for at least a first round pick for somebody. What's Atlanta? What's Atlanta trading for Kyler Murray? Right when Kyler Murray when Kyler Murray's healthy, I mean he he makes the play he makes the Atlanta Falcons the division favorites easy, and I you know. Falcons would Falcons would tra- would give up a first round pick and more for that even on a massive contract. That's what they want to be. I think other teams are kind of in that position too. So I know we talk about this all the time with the Cardinals. I think that they're punching above their weight, kind of just like the Rams were. But offensive lines isn't there yet. I think this is another week to show that. Your point about timelines though is is fascinating and one that we will discuss a lot with them going into the draft. There's so much quarterback drama in this draft. And it's it's going to be pretty nuts. The last game from the 4 p.m. slate before we do Sunday Night Football, mm-hmm. we opened a little bit with Jets Eagles. I think for me, Trevor, what matters most at its purest form is the Jets went through the hell part of their schedule without Aaron Rodgers. They had Aaron Rodgers for four plays of those six games. Absolute hell. And they end up 500. They end up three and three. They beat the Bills, who were big-time favorites in the division. They got the Nathaniel Hackett Revenge Bowl game against the Broncos. Mm -hmm. And they beat the undefeated Eagles. They took the Chiefs down to really the final plays of the game. They got blown out by Dallas. And inexplicably, they lost to the Patriots and could have almost won on a stupid Hail Mary at the end of the game. I'm not saying the Jets should be better than 3-3, and but the fact that they are 3-3 and with the gut punch four plays into the season with Zach Wilson, their season matters after their bye week. And that's remarkable in every sense of the word. It shows you that you got the right man at the top. Yeah, right? that's it. That's you. There you go. And this, that's, that's extremely important. And I'd agree with you. That's my what matters most. I'll switch it over to the Eagles for my what matters most. Um, I, so I had some stats here because the Eagles are five and one, and it feels really weird to nitpick a five and one team, especially a team that like could have been undefeated, right? We could be talking about them yeah. still six. No, but it doesn't look the same for the Eagles as it did last year. And I think a big area of that has to do with the deep ball, because last year, when you look at passes that traveled at least 20 yards or more, the Eagles had a turnover worthy play rate on those passes of just 2.7%. So when Jalen Hurts was throwing it deep down the field, he was either hitting guy like hitting it just straight up hitting his guys for big plays or he was throwing passes in which he was giving his guys a chance and it wasn't like considered a turnover worthy play. Like it was a deep shot, you know, maybe he didn't hit it exactly the way he needed to, but either he was hitting his guy in stride or it was not a turnover worthy play. 2.7% is really low. This year those same passes 17.6% turnover worthy play rate. So they're going from 2.7 to 17.6. That's the big difference for me is that throwing it deep down the field is not nearly as much of a guarantee of not just a big play, but also not a negative play as it has been in years past for the, for the Eagles. So that to me, along with a couple of other things is why I don't think they look as dominant. I think that number comes down a little bit but to 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 believe that it's going to go sub 3% again 
I think that's asking a lot. So the Eagles still believe they're one of the best teams in the NFL. It just might not look as easy for them as it did last year. This year might be more of a grind to get back to the Super Bowl than 2022 was. I'm with you in every way. I mean, we talk about the Eagles every week and we're like, they just don't look like themselves yet, despite always winning. Mm-hmm. And they finally ran out of playing a dangerous game. Right. It was yeah. like, it, I, I cover the jets every week. I am very honest with my picks with the jets. I don't just pick the jets every week as much as that'd be fun. I thought they would beat the bills when I thought Aaron Rodgers would play. I also thought, they would lose by at least a touchdown to the Eagles. I thought the Eagles would be able to run down their throat. I thought that the pass rush would be too much for Zach Wilson. The Eagles were missing guys, but the Jets were playing practice squad corners. It's just, it is wild any given Sunday in the NFL. But the Eagles had been playing this dangerous game for really the entire season on and off. Mm -hmm. And it finally got them. And maybe Trevor, maybe they need to actually lose one, right? Maybe they need to lose one. And they have a really accountable group there with Jalen and all those veterans on defense, Jason Kelsey, that maybe they're like, okay, we're going to learn a lot from this loss because they are so talented and typically well-coached that they'll be okay. But this was, the ship was taking on water for a couple of weeks and it it finally just, it finally, you know, filled up. I agree with you. Uh, Before we get to the last game of the Sunday slate, I want to remind you guys that we are brought to you by Manscaped, who has taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it has ever seen. So this season, no need to toil in trouble. Manscaped's all-new Handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen next gen skin-safe technology, the Handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional save. shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going over to manscaped.com using the promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. I mean, they're not lying when they talk about this being a smooth shave. I mean, like, I, I'm I'm having to, like, trim the beard all the time, and it's just, like, all their stuff is so great. I mean, it's not, like, pulling and, and, and tearing and anything like that. Like, it's a really great product, whether you are looking for a sh- super close shave or whether you are just trimming up whatever it is. I mean, like, their product is absolutely fantastic um if you're tired of bad razors making your neck look like a scary movie uh with the handyman skin safe technology reduce the nicks and the cuts uh, so you can finally feel confident when you are going for that close shave for wet or dry use feel free to bring it anywhere and everywhere uh the compact design and airplane friendliness don't bring it out on an airplane freaked out connor last time we read that makes it the perfect way to travel with this tool on the go uh and um, you can also make sure that you're not going, you know, three days between shaving and getting all scraggly. So uh, they, they, they've got you covered. There's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has you covered this year. 20% off and free shipping if you use the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the promo code PFF for a look as sweet as the candy. Get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. Last game. Let's do it. Doing the, la- doing the last game with a 100-pound New Finland border collie, but basically on my lap. It's dinner time for her. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing how dogs know? Like oh. we're we're it's we're a little late. We're a little late. So I gave her I give her credit here. She's yeah, been really yeah, good, yeah. really. But it's I mean we're about a half hour past dinner, and she comes strolling in. I you could she could barely fit in my desk area. She's massive. 
And I'm like, okay, it's the last, it's the last game. It's like what I have to say to, I don't know, to anyone, and we're not gonna rush brother, here. Mar- Marvel, last my game. dog is is pushing it nowadays. Like it, it, it we're talking like <laughs> oh, three, he... like we're talking three fifty p.m. He just starts being like, uh, yeah, it's next like buddy. To, next to me as I'm working, I'm like, dude, it's the, like you're you're not that far removed from late lunch. You like we gotta, no, that's we gotta, the we thing. Gotta, we've got to have discipline and structure in this household. So, yes. Yes, we, go, we are a Tom Coughlin household. We are a Bill Parcells household. So I'm I've been 4, getting 35, 30. That's when it is. I've been getting played. I mean, we do we do a cookie after the last night walk, um, usually a poop walk. Yeah. And now now, like the the casual walk before I leave for NBC in the morning, I'm getting I'm getting stared at like, where's my cookie? And I'm like, no, 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 that wasn't a poop walk or a night walk. There's no cookie in this. So yeah, that, that's what it is. It's, it's the behavior treat you know yep all right so sunday night football um giants bills a thriller an unexpected thriller tyrod taylor starts this game mm-hmm. I- i'll let you kick this one off trevor it uh was surprisingly down to the last play in a game where the giants were underdogs by at least two touchdowns yeah i just think the giants offensive line is just simply not good enough this year um yeah since since week 11 of last year including the postseason the giants are 4 11 and 1 I mean, it's just it's it's tough, and yeah, it's not great. I mean, no matter how you slice it, I mean, I understand they've gone through injury. You know, Brian Dable is clearly very frustrated about how his offense is playing. It doesn't seem like they're in sync. It doesn't seem like they're doing the things that he wants them to do. I don't mean to make him blameless. He's the head coach. He's the guy who won offensive, yeah. or he's the one who won coach of the year. Like you got to figure it out. But I mean, they're we, we think of the Giants. At least I've certainly been guilty of this as. You look at 2022, you look at how they made the playoffs and how they overachieved and and what Dable did and how he won coach of the year. And you go, man, Giants had a great year. They did. But down the stretch, they were not good last year. And they are starting this year still not good. 4-11-1 since week 11 of last year. Offensive line, really bad. 0.8 yards before contact per attempt in the rush game. That is the worst in the NFL. Lowest graded pass block unit in the NFL. 31.9 pass blocking grade so far this season. Season And most pressures allowed of their quarterback, 129. That is by a mile of any other offensive line. So the unit is just not... We, we saw Joe Shane, the, the general manager, want to emphasize the trenches in the season where... Or in the draft where he took Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal back-to-back with those two premium picks. He's not going to shy away from continuing to invest in the trenches if it is just not good enough. And there are too many areas of the trenches for the Giants that are not good enough. I watched the the last part of that game. Saquon Barkley had daylight for what it felt like was the first time all season. You know, they keep giving it to Saquon Barkley because he's one of their best playmakers. But as we know, success in the run game, it totally starts up front. You've got to give him some sort of daylight. He cannot just make magic out of everything. And when they were able to give him just a little bit of daylight towards the end of that Bills game, you saw a handful of chunk runs from him. He was able to get in his face. He was able to do it quickly, powerfully, make guys miss. And it was great. There's not enough of that. There's not been enough of that this entire season. Saquon's numbers are really suffering because of it. And it's runs like what we saw last night that remind you this guy is still really talented. And the problem is not that Saquon sees it perfect every time, but it's a it, the offensive line is the issue for the Giants. And it's letting him down big time. And I don't know how much better this year is going to get knowing that the cavalry is not coming for the O-line. So that was my what matters most is, is how bad the Giants have been in the trenches this year. 
Yeah, and that with the heroic off-the-couch performance by Justin Pugh, right? And it still isn't enough. That's what's crazy with their offensive line. I think... So I look at this. My my What matters most or my big takeaway from this game is the Bills try to get right. And some people won't like this, but the honeymoon is obviously over for Brian Dable. Shit is getting real very fast. I think in New York... This is this is t- tricky, but I think in New York, he's going to have to learn at times how to control his emotions with his quarterbacks. And I know football is a intense sport and we've all been yelled at by coaches. It's part of sports. It's part of the intensity. I get it. But I was I woke up this morning and I was watching tape and I don't listen to the radio anymore. Literally ever. It's probably part of being a podcaster, you know what feels like 90% of the days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I saw a tweet come across my timeline that Rex Ryan was on the local radio here. And it was very, very early in the morning. And I, I clicked it. Cause I was like, I love listening to Rex when he has perspective of uh, you know, what it's like to be a coach in New York. And he talked about jets Eagles. It was great all that, but they asked him about Brian Dable and, you know, kind of yelling at the quarterbacks on the sideline. And Rex was like, as a coach, you're, you're going to get into your players. You're going to yell at your players. He's like, but he, did and and this is the exact thing Rex said was something along the lines of he's like you do need to watch how you do it so publicly there's a time and a place to do it and a lot of that time it can be behind closed doors mm-hmm. and I think Dable's frustrations he really like turns into a tomato at Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor he's yeah he's this, visibly mad at them yeah that, right like it is your fault you right. idiot is right. what it looks like and. He might be right, but when you are the coach of a team, especially in New York where the scrutiny of coaches, I mean, two weeks ago, Robert Sala was fired and now he's back in the running for coach of the year, right? Like that's, Mm. that's the conversations that go on here. Dable, if they keep losing and the, the meme of the game is always him screaming at whoever's playing quarterback for the giants on that given day, Mm. it's going to wear out. It's going to wear out. And I know some people won't yeah. like this take because they'd be like, well, that's tough coaching. It is. That's coaching in all sports. We've all been yelled at. But I do think the act is starting to get a little thin. Sometimes just get out there, man, and be like, you know what? I, it starts with me. I wasn't good enough today. And he's an accountable guy. I'm not saying he's not. But when that's always the meme from the game, right. it's a bad look. In my eyes, it's a really bad look. It's tougher in New York, like whether you want to believe it or not, like the New York media on prime time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for a team that played very well last year that is really underperforming this year because there gets to a point where you go like, oh, okay, like, did you also overperform as a head coach? Like if you're losing it on on your players and look, I, I, I don't want people to come away from this point thinking that we're soft and that you can't get into players and like there's best coaches in the NFL scream with their players. Right. I mean, like uh, Bill yeah. Belichick, it's another week. He's breaking another Microsoft surface on the sideline. Like Nick Saban, greatest uh, college coach of all time. Like he's known for screaming at his players. Like that sort of stuff happens. Hard coaching absolutely happens. Um, Not to put words in your mouth, but I think that you're just saying like, you do have to be aware of it. I think especially if you're a head coach on a very notable market team. I think 
one of the hardest things about being a head coach in the NFL is emotions. It really is because a lot of these guys are assistants for a long time. And the assistants of a team are more often than not the energy because the head coach has so many different highs and lows. One week you're fired, one week you're the GOAT, one week, whatever. And you're handling politics, you're handling your players, you're handling relations with the front office and getting talent, and you're deep meeting with an owner all the time, depending where you're the head. There's too much for you to be kind of like this. So the emotions come from the assistants because they're in the meetings with the players every day. Like I'm the wide receivers coach. These are my guys. Your, your wide receivers are going to talk to their wide receiver coach more than any other coach on the staff or the offensive coordinator. They can be the guys going nuts on the sidelines because they have the time, right? Like if you're a defensive coordinator and your defense gets a huge stop to get off the field, you can go nuts with them because you don't give a shit about what's going on with special teams or offense as much. When you're the head coach, there's not a part of the game that you're not involved in all the way down to the TV timeouts. So I think Brian Dable is learning and what makes some coaches great is emotions, right? It really is. I mean, it really is. But I think he is still learning how to go from assistant to head coach because those emotional outbursts, they're going to happen. He's a human being. Mm -hmm. But you do need to pick your spots with them. And if they're happening every time you're losing, it, that's not really a good practice. Right or wrong, it is part of the job. It's right. You like, can love right, it, hate it. Right, I don't care. Right or, it's part right of the or job. wrong. Right or wrong, it is part of the job. Although I do feel bad for him with the halftime run call because I, I, it seemed like Tyrod audible into a run on the in the end zone, and then you can you can see it. Tyrod thinks they have a timeout. Yeah, you, you, I, I don't know if you saw that, but like, it, yeah, it, no, it, he's played too long to for it to not be that. And and he and he you can tell that Tyrod thinks he has a timeout because they stop the play and Tyrod is just like walking so gingerly. He looks over to the sideline. He's like, all right, what are we doing now? And then you can tell everyone is screaming at them to go because they don't have a timeout. And you see Tyrod's body like jolt forward, like, oh, okay, we gotta do this. So I uh, have that very frustrating moment for Dable, but again, right or wrong, it is unfortunately part of the job. And it's especially part of it. If you're in New York and you're not playing well. So I don't want something like that to unfairly get on Brian Dable, but um, yeah, it might, it, it's at least just something to monitor. You know, there we go. That's what, uh, that's what we thought mattered most from week six in the NFL. Let us know what you guys thought mattered most, whether it was a take that we had on your favorite team or just a take that you have on your favorite team, what you think matters most, whether it's draft perspective, season perspective, coach, player, whatever it is, hit us up, let us know. Best way to do that in the YouTube channel for this video, youtube.com backslash at NFL Stock Exchange. Comment section is the best way to do it. While you're there, please like and subscribe. We love you forever. If you're audio only, hit us up on X and Instagram at Tampa Bay Trey. At Connor J. Rogers, uh, we read the stuff that you guys send us there. So um, that is also a good way to get in on the conversation. We will have a more draft-focused show on Wednesday. Not sure exactly what it's going to be, but Connor texted me yesterday. and was like, hey, I think it's about time that we have an updated quarterback conversation. So it might be – we might do the whole show about the quarterbacks from the 2024 okay. class and – talk about how they have played halfway through the college football season. But um, whether it's the whole podcast or just part of the podcast, it, it will be a lot of what we talk about, Connor, because uh, 
A lot of movement. There's a lot of movement and a lot we got to get people catching caught up on. Absolutely. We had a, a classic in Oregon, Washington. It felt like 90% of the tweets I saw from people that don't care about the draft or college until the night of the draft were like, this is the guy in Caleb Williams that you said is going to change a franchise because he threw a couple of interceptions. Oh, brother. But anyway, yeah, it's I mean, I would I would like to catch up on these things. And and this is a really talented, deep class with I don't want to say a lot of movement, but I think a lot of players that are positioning themselves to be first round picks. Yep. We're going to talk about quarterbacks and so much more on the Wednesday edition of the show. I'm Trevor Sigma. That's Connor Rogers. Thank you guys so much for listening to the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. We will see you on Wednesday.